My name's Johnny, um, one of the leaders of the church here. Uh, it's my pleasure to be speaking to you guys this morning. We are finishing our um, uh, kind of mini-series, looking, returning to the first three chapters of the Bible, um, and particularly seeing the blueprint God gives us for uh, some of the most key human relationships and issues around them. And I just feel kind of on the back of, of, of the worship, really, I, I really feel that where we're going to land today is a commissioning for, for all of us. It's like the, it, it's kind of the end of the series. There is another one that I'm going to do after the weekend away that we just kind of missed because of something happening a while ago. But it's a sort of separate issue. So I'm going to treat today like the end of the series, okay? Um, and it's, we're going to be talking about a very specific um, area of life again. Uh, but for all of us, where we're going to end is a commissioning. And I lo- love that idea in, in the kind of Lighthouse song. I think it's slightly different, but I think the song is referring to it is in the Old Testament, some of you might know, when the people of God leave um, slavery, God appears to them in this uh, pillar of fire that leads them out of, out of uh, the wilderness and through trap travels. And I think someone said it earlier as we, um, they prayed, I think it was Kate, uh, thank you that you guide us, that, you, that, that we, we can see you, you lead us somewhere. We just have to trust you. And I think uh, what I'd love to happen, and I, I want to kind of, I hope the Holy Spirit stirs faith in our hearts right from the start here, uh, whether this topic's right on for you that we look at today or not, is God lifting our eyes up from our situations that we're in to say, actually, we're looking at where God's leading. He's got a commission that's for all of us. The pillar of fire, in a sense, is going in the same direction for all of us. And I think he wants to lift up our eyes today and say, you know what, you're part of this too. Come on, let's go. And so that's what I'd really hope we're going to be going. And at the end, we're going to have, uh, hopefully, as long as I don't ramble on uh, too long, um, some time to respond and a little bit of time to, for, for kind of praying for each other as well, which is the plan. Okay, sound all right? Good, nice. Let's go then. So, with that all said then, uh, does anyone know who this person is? Any takers? What's that? Jeff Bridges. It is an actor called Jeff Bridges, correct? Who is the character that he is embodying? Pop quiz. The Big Lebowski. Thank you, Misha. We have a cult, someone into culture here. Uh, that's good. Who has seen the film The Big Lebowski? You can put your hand up. Wow, this is an... This is an Okay, just again, I, I, I also, I don't, sometimes I think I've come across a little harsh in the past on my uh, kind of references to films, but this is a, a cultural kind of touchstone of the last 25 years, okay? Um, I'm, as in this film, this is one of the most iconic film characters into film of the last 25 years or so. Um, with that said, I wouldn't unreservedly recommend the film, particularly those who don't have a tolerance for, for bad language, uh, because the film has a lot of bad language. But anyway, let's move on quickly. Um, this is The Big Lebowski. I'm not just putting it here to shame you for your <laughs> lack of film knowledge. Uh, but actually, whether you've seen The Big Lebowski or not, you would know this character. He's the kind of chief example of a type of character that appears in loads of films, loads of books, and is quite big in popular culture. And he would be uh, the purposeless drifter. Misha, that's pretty correct for the Big Lebowski, isn't it? Yeah, oh, oh, Misha, come on! You let the whole side down. I can't believe this. Well, there was some... Anyway, I'll give up now. Um, okay, he is... But anyway, trust me on this. He is the purposeless drifter. He's chilled out. He's a live and let live. He has no strong opinions. He lives a simple and spontaneous life. He is a beer. And I don't mean he drinks beer, which he does, but he bees. He is. He doesn't do and plan and stuff like that. And the Big Lebowski, better known as the Dude, which is, uh, is a good name, uh, he has a catchphrase, if we go to the next one, and it is this, the Dude abides. That's what he does, he abides. Okay, he doesn't plan, he doesn't do, he abides. Now, 
As I said, whether you're familiar with this character or not, you will be uh, familiar with the type of character that's presented, this purposeless uh, character that just sort of left, lets life happen to them. And we see that in fiction, but also we see that presented in many celebrities uh, as well. And it's funny, because in our culture, characters like this are presented to us often as these kind of saintly figures who kind of walk with a little bit off uh, feet a little bit off the ground and float through life. And I, I think partly of it is that is because they offer this other way of living that's opposed to the hustle bustle and the stress that most of us have to deal with. And the important thing to notice in a character like this is the key element for them is actually purposelessness. That's not a kind of, yeah, they're this and they're a bit purposeless. No, that's the key element. That's the thing that's meant to be important. He doesn't have any life goals. He doesn't have a five-year plan. He doesn't have a raison d'etre, a strong reason to be. He just abides. He just is. Okay. Now, whether you see the film or not, does that kind of character, can you think of someone like that? Maybe you know. Maybe you are someone like that. Okay. Okay. Now, just so you know, if you know me, this won't be a massive surprise to you, I don't think. I really like this guy. I think he's absolutely great. <laughs> and he's one of my favorite movie characters. Um, I th and there's lots that could be said that's good about him. And there is some wisdom buried in here somewhere, I think, um, for us. In, the, in a culture where, for many of us, we feel this kind of pressure to work ourselves into the ground, fulfilling targets, meeting goals, there is something quite refreshing being told, look, there is another way to do this sort of stuff. Get off the hamster wheel here. And of course, uh, he has stolen his catchphrase from someone particular. Any takers? Jesus is a good way to go, isn't it? Uh, Jesus told us to abide in him. That's a phrase deliberately taken from the Bible. And there's a, there's a time to just be, to just abide. Okay. With that said, I am not here today wearing my Dude Abides t-shirt. I'm not putting him forward uh, as a role model for us as Christians today. There might be a talk where that, some, there could be a, a thing there. But today, there are some elements I'd like to critique here. Because uh, whereas for, for characters like this, they often give us a good, a good critique themselves of sort of consumerism and things like that, there's some other things that lie behind our cultures pushing forward of characters like this that is not so healthy, I don't think. Because we've got to accept this uh, and understand this. If you want to understand our culture at all, you have to get this element, which is kind of behind this sort of stuff, which is that our culture has decided that objectively there is no purpose in life. I don't know if you, you're kind of aware of that. That's not presented as an option. Like, oh, some people think there is, some people think there isn't. No, our culture has said there is no ultimate purpose. End of story. Let's close the shop on that one. And let's just proceed from that basis. And if you go, well, no, I think there is, actually that can be seen as a really negative thing because you're trying to push that on other people. Okay? If you'd like to understand what's going on in our culture, go back to the fact of purposelessness. And everything makes sense. Hedonism. Okay? Oh, that sounds shiny. What is it? It's complete meaninglessness. It's purposelessness because the only thing that matters is the moment. My lifestyle choices. What is that saying? Well, there's no purpose. It's all about your choice. Whatever you choose, that's essentially what we would call nihilism, which is belief in nothing. And it has been understood like that for years. There's a purposeness to the core of our culture. So, of course, characters who are purposeless would be put forward uh, to us by our culture. But the thing is for us as Christians, as we see in Genesis 1 to 3, we do have a purpose. We would believe that, wouldn't we, as Christians? We've been given. We were made with a purpose. 
And if you've been here for any of this series, this next two verses are not going to be new to you. That is for sure. In fact, you might think, when are we going to preach on something else? Um, but let's go to them again because these are such key verses for us. If you haven't been with us in the series, I'm sure you'll pick it up quickly because it's very straightforward. Um, Genesis 1, 27 to 28. It's the story at the beginning of the Bible where God makes people. It says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This incredible vast, mysterious idea that people, humans, are made in the image of God. It's one of those things in the Bible that's so deep and mysterious that if you think, yep, now that got that, we're preaching this for ages, completely done, you haven't got it in that case. Because there's mysteries, it's fathomless, this idea. But we can kind of feel towards it, what does it mean to be made in God's image? Does it mean we're a bit like him? Yeah, I guess that's in there. Does it mean there's some sort of relationship implied here? Like a, a, a child is made in their parents' image and there's a relationship. Yes, that's there, definitely. But what's clear in verse 28 is there's something else embedded into the image of God that's not just being, it is doing as well. Verse 28, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. What's going on here? Again, we talked about this uh, before, but it's really important to see. As we are made in the image of God, that means yeah, we're a bit like God in relationship with God, but also we do the things that God does. Genesis 1 talks about how God meets a universe that is formless and empty. And so what he does is he brings form and life to fill fill the emptiness and order the form, uh, formlessness, what does he then ask us to do? Well, he makes us his image, the pinnacle of his creation, and then he says, now I'm handing over to you. You come with me and do what I'm doing, the image of God. You image me by doing the things I do. Okay, We're given a purpose, we're given a job description, and we're given a mission that's not to be fulfilled in a driven, calculated, robotic way, but in a, in a natural, loving, faith-filled way, to bring order and life in the chaos. Jesus, later in the Bible, puts another layer on this. It's not to, I don't think the two things are separate. I think they're the same, just in different language, with more focus from Jesus, which is when he says at the end of Matthew, just before he goes to heaven, he says, Go, make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey all the things I've commanded you. What's he doing? He's saying, you know what, this is, this is just clarifying your job. This is what you do. So what are we doing? We're bringing order and life in the chaos through Christ. That's what we're called to do. It's purpose at the heart of who we are. And uh, as we've seen in this series, I think that sense of purpose has kind of run through everything we've looked at, at these elements of human relationship. We've looked at sex. Uh, we've looked at singleness. We've looked at marriage. And those things seem to be tied together by this purpose idea. And when we talk about purpose, what we're really talking about is there's a purpose that's bigger than ourselves involved. So we looked at sex, it's like th- there's a purpose bigger than sex. It's not just about the moment. It's not just about that individual relationship. There's a bigger purpose. In marriage, uh, there's a bigger purpose for your marriage than just you two. That's, that's the thing. In your singleness, it's not just about these experiences you can and can't have as a single. There's a bigger purpose. It's bigger than singleness. And uh, today we're going to look at another key area of human relationship where exactly the same is true. Uh, we're going to look at the topic of family uh, today. And I want to look specifically at what it looks like to be a family that takes hold of this purposefulness that God has given us. Uh, essentially, what it looks like to be a family on a mission. Now, 
I'm, as I'm surveying the, the faces, very nice faces they are too, uh, before me, I recognize, as in this series that we've done time and time again, this is, a, in a sense, a talk with a specific audience. Okay, I'm going to be talking about family in one sense, as parents and kids type family. And there would be some parents uh, with kids at home uh, here. There would be some, you might not want to be called kids, young people who would be in, <laughs> living in a family unit at the moment. And so you guys, this, there'll be a direct uh, relevance in that sort of sense. And I, I recognize, I just want to say, the beginning, I understand that for some of you, there might be a sense of irrelevance the minute I say that because you're like, well, I, I'm not in that situation. I maybe never will be in that situation. And I, I, I see that. Um, I also recognize there, there could well be a, as all the way through this series, sensitivities here of like, yeah, and this is a tricky one for me. And that could be because you not you don't have a family. Actually, it could be because you do have a family and you're finding that really, really tough at the moment. You don't want to be reminded about that because there are issues involved in that. And that's the case on, on both sides, I think. And I, while we said all along it's helpful to know as part of the community we live in, the struggles and the opportunities that each of us are going through and understand each other better, um, at the same point, uh, I would say there's, I think with this one, there is a specific ref relevance to all of us here, whatever our stage of life uh, might be when we talk about family. Because if you are here and you are part of Church Central, or you are here and you're looking in and thinking, should I become part of Church Central? The topic of family is very important to us because Church Central is a, all together now, well done, family. That was beautiful, family chanting. Um, and I, I say that that sounds like a nice idea, doesn't it? Oh, we want to be a family. That kind of phrase is used lots. But it's not just a nice idea. The Bible uses that idea. The, the dominant image of church in the New Testament is of family. Brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers. Those sort of phrases are used of the church. And just so you know, and I hope you're aware of this, we don't do it perfectly. Uh, that's for sure. But we're committed to building each of our sites like family. We want this to be like families as much as we can uh, at Church Central. And so even as I direct most of, uh, well, the first bit of what I'm saying, there's kind of three sections to what's going to happen today, uh, at families, parents, kids, families, I'll be doing some stuff there. Um, I'm going to wind up what we're talking about by applying it to all of us. So, and what I want to do is this, and you can do some work for me as we go through, because you can join some dots uh, in this way, everything that I say about nuclear families and kind of w- wisdom from the Bible on those things, you can apply to the church. And I'm not going to apply everything in that way, although I will do a couple of things at the end. And I want you going home thinking, reflecting, okay, how would that work? Then, if that's wisdom for the nuclear family, how can I build the church to be more like that? Because you might not be building a nuclear family, um, that might never be uh, your calling. Uh, however, we are all called to build the church family, aren't we? So uh, that's going to come in. I'll come back to that at the end. And then the third part will be, I want to pray for us at the end. And we're going to spend a little, little time on that as we go. Okay, so with that said, let's, let's race onwards, onwards and upwards with just a simple question. Uh, why on earth do families need a purpose? Why do families uh, need a purpose? Now, you might not want to live like the dude here. You might actually have a very strong sense of personal purpose and calling for your life. But even with that said, even if you're that person, you might still see something slightly at odds here when we talk about family and mission. You might think there's, there's a disconnect there that's a bit strange. Because surely, if there is any place where we can just be, where we can just abide, it should be family. 
That would be, that would be a, a statement that I think would be quite fair. Families are not about targets. They are not about stated goals. There should be a naturalness and a spontaneity to family life um, that I think sometimes doesn't fit necessarily naturally well uh, with mission or the language of mission. And again, if you, if you think like that, I'd say I, I'm, I'm with you. My, I, I'd be in a very similar place. We're not going to be going down uh, the line today of husbands and wives. Could you meet up each week and see how you're doing on your targets? You know, do your pie chart and your graph of how many days were you at home from work on time this week? How much laundry has been done? You know, like stuff like that. We're, I'm not going down that line. I'm not, I'm not going to encourage you with kids to start each year's birthday with an annual appraisal. Like, that's, uh, that's not where we're going. Um, but with all that said, the reality we see in Genesis 1 is while, yes, God made us for a naturalness and spontaneity in all areas of our life, really, including family life and church life, um, Genesis 1 teaches us that that is not meant to be a purposelessness. It's not, you're never meant to be purposeless in your life. In fact, I wonder if it would be fair to say, I wonder, I'm going to say that it's fair to say, I don't think it can be a purposelessness. Because we can choose if we want to obey or disobey God's specific mission that he's given us. We can choose to say, well, I don't really want to bring order and life to the chaos. I don't really want to go make disciples of all nations. We can obey or disobey, but we can't escape the fact that purposefulness is wired into us as human beings, and that's the message we get in Genesis chapter 1. This is part of who we are, not just what we choose to do. To be made in God's image means that everything we do will have a purpose, whether we like it or not. It's just, that's just how we are on these things. So it's not, you can't choose, shall I have a purpose or not in this area of my life? What you've got to choose is simple, is what will the purpose be for this area of my life? And I think this might sound crude and simplistic, but I think we really only have two choices uh, in this regard. You can, and this is the case in all areas of our life. We can either, um, our purpose can either be ourselves or for ourselves, or it can be for something bigger than ourselves. Our purpose can either be for ourselves or for something bigger than ourselves. And I want to push this and say, look, if you choose to opt out of those two things, go, nah, I'm, not, I'm going for this, I'm duding this, okay? I'm going to say, I, I'm just going to chill out, I'm just going li- to let life happen to me. What I think will probably happen is you'll just default to the first of those things. You'll just end up living for yourself. Because that's how we're made, isn't it? We experience pleasure from our own bodies, we experience pain from our own bodies. And so if we don't make a choice, it will just be, we'll just be directed towards our felt needs. doesn't mean we won't ever help anybody else, but essentially our life will be brought in on itself. And just as that's true of us as individuals, it's also true for us as families. And for those of you who are building families here, my question to you, and it's really, I'm not going to ask many other questions today. My main question is here, will your family exist for itself or will it exist for something bigger than itself? And if, again, just to underline this, I think if you don't get intentional about this and take the bull by the horns, the default position will be your family will turn inward and insular and look to serve itself, but actually not really anyone else and not live for the calling that God's called us to as families. And I I just want to be very clear and open with you on this. Is I'm not saying this from a position of, I see you families out there, you insular families, not helping anyone out. Um, I see he's looking at myself 
and my family, I'm married to Gemma, we have three children, uh, and see that this kind of internal gravity that pulls everything in, that I don't think, I'll be, hands up, I don't think we manage this perfectly. Um, and Gemma just talking about this, like, well, <laughs> I don't think we've, we've got this nailed at all, if you can get this nailed. And I know that that's not because we, we want to be disobedient or we want to be mean to anyone or selfish. It's done with the best intentions. We have a family, and I'm sure, I hope all families here would have this. We have, we have a desire for togetherness in the family, for high priority to exclusive family time, the care and concern for the well-being of the family members. Those things are all good things. I would always encourage families to do those things. However, if those things become the primary calling of your family, what will happen is your family will become a little island, disconnected from others, and essentially turned in on itself and really only existing for the good of itself. And the, the tragic irony here, and I can see this, I've seen this in different cases and shades of it within our family, is that when we do that, we're aiming for health. We want our family to be healthy, so we're going to put all the attention here and here and here in the family, but the complete opposite happens. We focus inwards, but what then happens is the, the people in that family unit start to become bored. They start to become disgruntled. They start to want for something else. It can't just be about this, can it? Surely. And the family can, in many cases, implode, infighting, and so in some cases, break up completely. Now, while, of course, our family should seek to serve the members of our families, of course, that is the case, if that becomes the only preoccupation of the family, it seems to kill families. Because our families, like ourselves, need a bigger purpose than themselves. Now, interestingly, uh, this is, uh, as well as being taught in the, the Bible, uh, and as well as some observations I've made in my life, this is also backed up from some, some really interesting research that's been done uh, over the last few years on this subject. Uh, a group called the Barna Group. Anyone heard of the Barna Group? Because they're really fascinating. The web website there, I'd encourage you to check it out. They deal with all sorts of different things. They're a Christian charity that does surveys about faith, basically, in America. So, you know, it's kind of similar. I know it's a bit different from those over the Atlantic, but, you know, it's kind of similar. Um, and this particular study was done in 2018 on um, how faith is formed in people, how faith grows, uh, particularly in those as they grow up. What are the things that tie together who keeps the Christian faith and who doesn't keep the Christian faith? Can we see any trends? And they um, interviewed over 2,000 inter uh, interviews they did with uh, uh, people who were, they were parents of families. That was one criteria. The other criteria was they were Christians. And the third criteria was they were Christians who were trying to bring up their kids to follow Jesus. Okay, Parents who were Christians who were trying to bring up their kids to follow Jesus. And uh, they saw all sorts of interesting things in these interviews. But one of the questions they asked was, well, what makes a spiritually vibrant family? And they kind of, as they interview people, they thought, well, we've got some criteria. This is what a spiritually vibrant family. Some of these families have this load. Some of them have it a little. Some of them don't seem to have it at all. What are the linking factors? What can we learn about how uh, that sort of happens? And they came up with some conclusions. I just want to highlight two of the conclusions uh, they came to. And the first was this, and it's just underlining something that I've already said, so I won't spend much time on it. They found that in the families that they were classed as spiritually vibrant, intentionality was key. Kind of like what I've been saying. Intentionality was key. The research kind of showed, like what I've said so far, if 
we just think, oh, you know what? Let's just let life happen. Uh, we don't need to intentionally build our family in a direction. Let's just float along and see what happens. Well, actually, spiritual vibrancy did not uh, happen in those families. Um, they, they found that you needed to kind of take the bull by the horns, move your family in a specific direction with a specific sense of purpose for health and fruitfulness to occur. So that's interesting. Uh, it's always good when you get to the end of your sermon prep and you find a, a, a large research group has just backed up what you said. I, I like that. Okay, that's kind of fun. So that's, uh, that was there. Second thing is more practical for us, I think. Secondly, they gave some guidance on how we could apply this sort of stuff because they highlighted two specific things they found were particularly important in spiritually vibrant families. And here they, the first was this. They found that among the spiritually vibrant families they surveyed, regular spiritual devotional practices were really key. Regular spiritual devotional practices. Now, things like praying, reading the Bible, uh, worship, ch- uh, church involvement, church membership. And uh, when those things were at the heart of family life, it led to spiritual vibrancy, which I think is kind of common sense in many ways. We would expect that to happen. That doesn't mean it's easy. but it seems to make sense. And so I'd encourage you, you know, if you have a family, how do you build those things and how do you model those things uh, in your family? That's really, really helpful. Second thing uh, I think is really interesting was the other thing that tied these uh, spiritually vibrant families together was a culture of hospitality. A culture of hospitality. Now, I think, again, there's really helpful guidance. If you're taking tips, oh, how do we make our family really vibrant? Hospitality, great, let's try that one. That's, that's there. Uh, but I think there's something really interesting as well about this because this finding, they said, underlines again the kind of message that we get from Genesis 1 about this purpose bigger than ourselves. Because if you are exhibiting hospitality as a family, or an individual actually, what it's showing is that you're existing for a purpose bigger than yourself. You're acting that out in, in 3D. Because when we welcome other people into our homes, and into our lives, and into our families, what we are saying is, we don't just exist for ourselves. This is not just about this family unit and what we can all gain from each other. Well, essentially, what you're saying through that activity is, we're here to bless others. We're here to serve others. Uh, We're here also to learn from others. We're not just an island. We're not just on our own. And so, to be honest, that's all I'm going to say for for families. So just to summarize, these would be my, 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 um, my, my kind of thoughts from, from what I can see in the Bible on this, this stuff is, firstly, be intentional to build your family's permission. That look like lots of different things, but be intentional. Just intentionality is really important. Secondly, resist the pull inwards and build, build your families for a big purpose bigger than your own family. I really encourage you to that. And practically, put regular spiritual devotions at the heart of your family life and also practice hospitality. It's a, con- it's a continual uh, instruction of Scripture. And I'll be honest again, it's a provocation to us in our culture. English culture, and those of you from, from other cultures around here, would I'm sure you're aware of this. If you've been for any length of time, it's like, you English people are not thriving in terms of hospitality. It's not known as a natural trait of Englishness as it would be in other cultures. And so... We've got to see those instructions in Scripture, and we've got to say, yeah, it strikes against all sorts of things. There's all sorts of reasons not to do it, but we've got to model something different as a kingdom, wherever, wherever we are in that. And I, I take that, for me, I take that on board, and I want to see how we, me and Gemma can apply that, and I'd put that to you guys too. But as I said, let's finish before we pray, um, applying this more broadly uh, to all of us, because 
as I said at the start, as we apply the wisdom of the Bible to us as families, individual nuclear families, also this same wisdom, everything I say can be applied to us as a church, as we look to build church family. And the only thing I want to flag up, although there, there'll be other things uh, that could be said, is the same tensions I think exist regarding our identity as a church family on a mission as would exist in a, in a natural uh, nuclear family as a mission. Because just as I said before, for, for families, there's this, there is this tension. Because church, like family, is a place where we can come as we are. You've all done that well this morning. Good job. You have come as you are. It's, a, it's great to see such a diverse crowd. We at this church, we don't, we don't necessarily dress up for church and things like that, which I'm not saying anything wrong with it. I think there's good reasons for that. But yeah, I think we want to just be able to come as, as we are to church. We want to come and be vulnerable. We want to enjoy our status as, as children of the Heavenly Father without kind of trying to meet a target that we have to perform to go for. We don't want to have to strive. That is what church is about. And yes, that's good. We want our church to be a family like that. We want Southside to be a family like that. However, if we just leave it there, this, this site will implode. We won't be here in a few years. That seems to be what happens. We'll fall out with each other. We'll become disgruntled and dissatisfied. We'll just get very, very bored because we've been built to have a purpose outside of ourselves. It's in us. And that's true of us as individuals. It's true of us in our singleness, it's true of us in our marriages, and it's true of us in our natural families, and also it's true of us in our, our church families. So I'd really encourage us all together, can we try to manage that tension well? Because there'll be times, and for, I think it's not, this isn't a personality type, this is a stage of life and a time of life thing, because this will happen to all of us at different times. There'll be times when certain members of the family just really want to come to rest. I want to rest here as part of this community. I want to relax. Sounds maybe kind of like we shouldn't relax, but there is a time where you just want to rest. You want to relax. But then the fathers and mothers in the church family say, hey, everyone, come on, let's go. Let's do this. And there's a real rousing, kind of commissioning. Let's do this. And you're like, oh, goodness me. I thought this was family. I just want to encourage you to manage that. That's not, it, it can hurt at times, that stuff. It can seem hard, but it's in line with how God's wired us to be made in his image. I just encourage you to flag those things up for when it comes, because for all of us, there'll come tension at those things. Sometimes it will be actually that things are, you're just really enjoying church at the moment. That does happen, you know, for some of us, that does happen. I'm sure some here, that could be the case. Um, and you think, this is great. I'm just, this church is so, so loving and good. Please, please, please don't change anything. Just do whatever you do, don't change anything. And then, of course, at that point, what happens is, guys, this is happening now. We're, it's change. Something new is occurring, okay? Again, the tension comes, but I encourage us, let's seize hold of this thing of who we are we were made for a purpose bigger than ourselves. And that's true of us as individuals, that's true of us as families, and that's true of us as a church.